Hello and welcome to the second episode of Visionary Voices, a podcast series by Linklaters. I'm Deepika Sriram. On this podcast, we will be talking to successful women in business and law who are based out here in the Middle East. We're going to be asking them to share their journey so far, any challenges that they have faced, and their vision for the future generation. And joining us today for our second episode is Swathi Mandava. Swathi is a senior vice president at Brookfield Asset Management. Prior to this, she was a lawyer in private practice based in India. Swathi's career journey spans across 15 years and is indeed a fascinating one. Today, she's joining us to talk about corporate life and working across multiple jurisdictions and the opportunities and challenges she has faced while doing so. Swathi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Thank you for having me. So, Swati, tell us about your journey and what brought you out here to the Middle East. So, my journey, um, just a bit of background about me. Uh, I, I grew up in a city called Hyderabad in India. I went to law school as much as I tried to get away. Uh, I got into law school in the same city. And I finished five years of law school and I got um, offered a role at um, one of India's top law firms, JSA, uh, right out of law school. So I moved to Mumbai, uh, took that role. And from day one, I've always been a private equity and m and lawyer. I've always been a corporate lawyer who's been focused on those two um, uh, sort of sectors. And uh, along the way, I spent eight years at JSA, eight fantastic years, just very fast-paced. Uh, I learned a lot. I had some great mentors at JSA. Um, and while I was at JSA, one of my clients was Brookfield. Brookfield was very new to India back then. And I remember uh, working on every single Brookfield deal in India. And at the point that, um, you know, when we started thinking about, uh, at that point, I was external, of course, but when Rufin in India started thinking about having counsel in-house, we'd gotten to a particular size in about 2014-15 when we said, you know what, it's time now to have someone sitting internally here. Uh, that offer landed in my lap. And uh, since 2015, I've been uh, at Rufin. I've had sort of various uh, roles across um, a different sort of uh, sectors again within Brookfield. Those one organization, we've got sort of various verticals almost. And um, uh, I joined as as um, uh, general counsel for India, someone who uh, was overseeing our business in India. Uh, I then moved from um, uh, being across our business groups in India to being focused on one of our business groups and making sure I was looking at uh, on the corporate side, making sure I was looking at everything across uh, that was happening across India. Um, over a period of years in India, you know, our business grew. We went from practically, you know, uh, maybe 1 billion of AUM to 20 billion of AUM in a span of five years. It was a fantastic journey. I got to see some of the biggest deals at each point in India across a few sectors. And uh, the learning um, was tremendous. Also, you know, uh, one reason the learning was tremendous uh, is different types of learning in the two almost buckets of um, uh, experience that I've had. 
Um, the first one, of course, uh, you know, sort of intense being a service provider, handling know, 20 things um, uh, at a time and, and being sort of very focused on delivering the best to uh, each client that you have. Uh, that was very interesting, of course, and that taught me a lot. But the second bucket, the one that I continue to be in, um, has been a very interesting learning as well and different kind of learning. What moving to Brookfield did is, is uh, gave me um, a canvas that is far broader than what I was exposed to being a lawyer and in private practice. Um, it gave me uh, an idea of what to expect from, you know, right from the beginning uh, and up until the culmination of, say, a deal. And even what's after that, because at Brookfield, we, we also manage our assets. So what happens is that we actually get to see quite closely uh, the entire process up until the disposal of the asset, which is literally the entire life cycle. And what that helps you um, learn and understand is that there is so much more um, from beginning to end, the, the business aspects of it, the management aspects of it, um, the everyday uh, intricacies that one has to deal with while managing an asset. Uh, these are things that sort of got, get embedded in you um, and you start thinking about it every time you're making an investment. Um, and not just that, you know, that's sort of one aspect of what I do, just uh, becoming more uh, business-minded, becoming more um, someone who uses uh, her legal skills um, as a tool to apply to um, solving a problem. Uh, that's what we like to say at Brookfield. That's what I like to say. That all we are uh, is problem solvers. Uh, we've all got different degrees. I've got a law degree. Uh, one of my colleagues has a finance degree. Somebody else has a um, some other kind of degree. Uh, but what we do is that all of us come together to use our our tools um, to be able to solve a common problem. And uh, we find that that's the sort of approach um, uh, that helps us uh, uh, be market leaders. Uh, so it's been an interesting uh, journey at Brookfield so far, and it, it is an evolving journey, which is actually what brought me out to the uh, Middle East. Uh, once, uh, you know, after a few years of, of um, uh, being part of the business and the growth in India, I actually managed to uh, help recruit a team of lawyers as well for the various business groups. And um, uh, we've got a fantastic team of lawyers in India. And about 2020, when we started thinking about um, building out our presence in the Middle East uh, from an investments perspective, they've always been in the Middle East. We've got uh, um, uh, several investments already in the Middle East, but we started to think about meaningfully growing our presence and um, uh, the opportunity to move out to the Middle East to our Dubai office and start focusing on building out the team here, helping with building out our business here that uh, presented itself. And I thought it was a fantastic opportunity. I've realized along the way, Deepika, and this is something I'm sure you're familiar with as well as someone who's uh, moved, uh, that every time an opportunity presents itself, whether it is to do something new, whether it is to move to a different city, whether it is to perhaps accept a new role, uh, I'm, I usually 
uh, I'm more than happy to take that opportunity because I find more often than not, um, opportunities like this help you uh, draw very meaningfully and uh, they teach you quite a lot. Uh, you know, they put yourself in a, uh, they help you put yourself in a um, situation where you are, you know, you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone. You're in a particular city for X number of years. You're in a particular role for X number of years. You have a great team for X number of years. You know, everything's wonderful. It's not always easy to take yourself out of that situation. But un until you do that, um, you don't always discover what else, um, uh, what other fantastic opportunity there might be out there for you. So that's that's been my journey so far. And I, I hope um, that it will continue to remain interesting. Thank you, Swati. That was so interesting. And, and I agree. I definitely can identify with that because I moved out of the Middle East pretty much the same time as, as you did. Uh, so that was really interesting to hear that transition and that journey uh, about your, your, your career. Um, you know, this podcast came about as we wanted to have conversations with women about their challenges and how they are helping to break the bias. And Swathi, I think you're uniquely placed to reflect on this because you've worked you worked across multiple jurisdictions and in both a legal and a commercial role. So what are some of the challenges and biases that you have seen? And what should organizations be doing to tackle issues of bias? That's a that's a you know incredibly interesting and uh, very important question I think Deepika and you know um, something that's very close to my heart as well. The thing with bias um, is that and and I'm really glad you guys are having a conversation, starting a conversation around this. I think this actually is the most important thing with. Uh, both recognizing and addressing bias, the fact that one needs to have conversations around it. Um, look, in, in my experience, you know, whether it's been over the last 15 years as a working professional or even prior to that as someone who's in law school, even before that as someone who's in school, who's always um, thought of herself as someone who's more aware uh, because, you know, I like to read, I like to engage in conversations with people from different walks of life. Uh, and I think all of that teaches you. I would like to believe that I'm aware, but you know, I find that every single day I discover something new. Um, so I think the first thing with bias is that most of us are so busy and I'm talking about people across the board, women um, and men, just everyone, right? Uh, we're all so busy with our everyday lives and with, you know, trying to do whatever it is with we're trying to do someone's studying, someone's working, someone's trying to build a business. We're also busy that we don't often step back and um, start to think about things that happen in our everyday lives. We sort of tend to adopt what's already there without too much thought more often than not, even the ones uh, amongst us who like to believe that, you know, that we think a lot more or that we're exposed to a lot more. I think it takes a lot uh, to, to stop, to pause, to think, to consider, and then to say, okay, what am I going to do about this? I think that's step one. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to give you an, an example. I think, you know, there's so many bits and pieces of bias that I also consciously trained myself. Uh, because even as a woman, I think sometimes I've I've missed things that are that I that are now that now feel like have been staring me in the face. 
Um, but I've, I've trained myself over the years to make sure that not only I recognize them, but the second part of it, which I think is very important, uh, is to also um, talk about the bias, call out the bias, point it out in whatever form I can, and help sort of either individuals or organizations deal with the bias. Um, you know, I was in a meeting a few years ago. Um, this is a meeting uh, where we were trying to recruit someone very senior uh, for a business that we'd acquired in India. And uh, this was CEO recruitment. So some of us had been involved in the deal. Um, and uh, some of our very senior colleagues who were responsible for overseeing that business post-acquisition, we were in the room. We were in the room with a team of uh, women uh, uh, recruiters uh, who'd been given the mandate to find us a CEO for this, find us CEO candidates basically for this business. Uh, now, these were two senior women from this, you know, it's a global recruitment agency and, and a very well-known one. Um, we had two senior women in the room present the list of candidates to us and you know, we had a sheet of paper and, and we were going through the four or five candidates. I remember distinctly uh, three men and two women formed a part of that list. Uh, now the, the um, two ladies who were presenting the candidates went through each person. When they came to one of the women, um, with, the, with the men, they had sort of, you know, listed out their um, their uh, uh, qualifications, their work experience, why they were good fits for the job, and all of that. And you know, there are some cons as well that they discuss when they're discussing candidates, all of which is fine. And all of those had to do with again what they've done, what they've not done. Now we came to the fourth candidate, who is a woman, and uh, very well established. Again, you know, she'd earned her right to be on that list. Now, the two women who were presenting this uh, immediately started talking about how this lady has uh, is known to have sharp elbows, is um, known for being aggressive, is known for, you know, it, it, it sort of a, it went into a host of things that were described about her. And then they did come down to saying that she's, you know, she's senior and she's um, uh, in whatever position she's in currently, et cetera, et cetera. Now, once they were done, the rest of the men on, on my side, of the, table, the rest of the people on my side of the table were men. And uh, once they were done, uh, I felt the need to react uh, immediately because it struck me as incredibly odd that the with the men, it was a description of their achievements, um, perhaps some of their shortcomings as well, but it wasn't personal. But with the first woman that they described, it started out being a description of, of what they believed or what they've heard about her personality. And to my mind, that is just absolutely absurd. And, you know, so I made it a point to say as, as soon as they were done and before we launched into a, a more detailed discussion that, you know, it is far easier for, for men to get ahead you know, by being polite and, and uh, having very pleasant personalities, it tends to be far more difficult for women uh, in most industries. So I sort of toned down on the personal comments about candidates. And I saw the men do a double take, uh, the men next to me, because I don't think it, something must have struck them, but I don't think it struck them that it was a, it was a gender 
colored sort of um, uh, introduction. What I said, um, perhaps where after I said it, it struck them. The women across the table did look a bit embarrassed and it was not my intention to embarrass anyone, but I think that point needed to be made because in, look at the situation we have. We have a situation where we have women presenting about women and I don't expect that women presenting about women should be um, uh, more flattering about women, not at all. However, as women, we can't hold the same biases that men tend to uh, sort of push through sometimes about uh, women and present those to a larger audience. As women, I think we do have the responsibility um, to recognize some of these biases, to question them. And, and if we are, you know, if we have some amount of power to use that power to make sure we're, we're correcting the wrong, um, not propagating it. So it was a small instance, honestly, Deepika, but I think, you know, it goes a long way to show you that biases exist in all of our minds. I don't believe for a second that the, um, the women who were making that presentation intended for it, um, to, intended to speak about another woman like that. I think what it was is that they were passing on something they had perhaps heard in the industry. They were passing on something they had perhaps heard in a conversation with their colleagues. However, my problem with that was that they were passing it on without questioning why there was such a big difference between how they were describing a man for us for that role and a woman for that role. Uh, I mean, this is an example that that I have given in the past to people, and I I like using this example because it happened in a room full of senior people. It happened, you know, when when you would least expect it. Um, and I think pointing out behavior like this, having conversations around behavior like this, is what helps um, each of us, men, women every single person involved in a conversation think about it and to hopefully make positive uh, and long uh, lasting changes um, in sort of everyday life absolutely swathi that was a great example of how bias can manifest itself at the workplace and how we should just be more mindful in order to be able to call it out and tackle it effectively we want to hear more from you on this and explore your advice for the future generations. So tune into part two of this episode where we continue the rest of the conversation with Swathi Manzava. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks to everyone at Linklaters who helped us pull this podcast together. The Middle East DNI team for getting behind the idea to do the series and providing the platform for it. Tushbu and Cecilia and the digital marketing team for website design, comms, and marketing everyone at the film and media team for audio editing and design. And Raluca and Patrick for bringing this podcast together and making it happen. Tune into the next episode to hear more from another interesting speaker wherever you get your podcast.